Brilliant. Nailed it. I would have only gotten Alexa's name wrong. So, <laughs> so that feels targeted. <laughs> <laughs> it's just your last name. I don't know why I struggle with it, but I printed it correctly on all the posters. So I feel like I'm winning. Hello, this is Jeff Young of the Shakespeare in the Rough Leadership Collective. Welcome to Rough Radio. Today, in part one of our Richard III Roundtable, Rough Leadership Collective member Patricia Allison sits down with Dylan Thomas-Bouchier, Alex Bomer, Bruce Horak, Debbie Patterson, and Alexa Vassos to talk a bit about who they are, what they do, and their experiences playing Richard III. As always with a group this size, when we're doing things over Zoom, the audio quality will vary from person to person. Nevertheless, listen in. I don't want to put anyone, my impulse is to put Debbie on the spot if you're ready, uh, but I could pitch to someone else if you're not ready, Debbie. Sure, I'm happy to start. So I'm a theater artist uh, in my late 50s, and I, I started as an actor, and then, uh, I don't know, about 25 years ago, I developed MS and started limping and started thinking about how I could continue to work in this field without having a body that does what I want it to do. Because I thought all my all my training was about you know being being very available physically and vocally as an actor. So so I thought I couldn't do that anymore if I couldn't uh, use my body in the way that I was told I had to. You know, um, so I started developing as a as a writer and director more yeah. when, I, when that was happening, and then found my way back to performing uh, primarily because of representation and, and the lack of representation of disabled people on stage. So that's kind of my practice. Um, I started a theater company in Winnipeg 30 years ago called Shakespeare in the Ruins uh, with a bunch of other people. We started as a, as a collective and, uh, and I was kind of um, in the core of that collective running the company for the first 15 years or so and then took a step back um, kind of around when my mobility changed. Hmm. Um, and then about six years ago, I guess, we did a production of Richard III mm. that I acted in. And that was the only time I've acted in it for the last uh, over a decade, 15 <laughs> years, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And and so the other thing I did in, in my practice was started a disability theater company in Winnipeg called Sick and Twisted Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll tell you a little bit about that production of Richard III. Yeah, that would so, be great. So um, I, I approached, I decided I wanted to do Richard III, and I wasn't sure that the company wanted to do it as well. So I, I sort of started uh, working towards a production on my own with my disability theater company, mm-hmm. and I found a director I wanted to work with. And then Shakespeare and the, the other members of Shakespeare and the Ruins approached me and said, we want to do this with you. Mm. So we did it at the Ruins outdoors. Um, I was still walking with crutches at the time. Mm. So I did the first half of the show on crutches until I became king. And then I was in a wheelchair mm. after that. There's this there's this funny, um, funny relationship between being very disabled and being very privileged, uh, mm. where you have people do things for you, you know? Mm-hmm. Like we both, it's kind of a, a, a funny cross section of the Venn diagram. Uh, we have people do things for us. So, so um, once, once I became king, I had more people doing things for me, mm-hmm. um, which was a symbol of status rather than disability. Oh. 
Mm -hmm. um, it just tried to turn that idea around. Um, the show, the opening of the show was super cool because we entered in a car. It's outdoors, right? Mm, Shakespeare mm -hmm. in the Ruins is outdoors and promenade. So we entered in a limousine. Uh, and we were, it was oh, wow. like the after party uh, after the coronation. Um, so so the audience was held back behind these velvet ropes and we had music blaring and we all piled out of this limousine with um, champagne and cocaine and and, and <laughs> shaking hands with the people. And, and everybody got out and was partying. And then like two minutes later, I'm struggling out of the backseat of the car because it's really, you know, it's very slow for me to get out of a vehicle with my crutches. And so by the time I got out, everyone had kind of moved along. Someone handed me champagne and I couldn't walk because I had my crutches and I couldn't hold something and walk at the same time. So like the party just kind of mm. passed me by and and the audience was all, you know, kind of, they, they had all sort of made friends with the audience already. And then, so so I had this whole like story already set up that the party is passing me by and then approach the audience to tell them to do that first monologue. Cool set up for the show. That sounds brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool. yeah. I mean, for those that sort of don't know, um, uh, Debbie is a huge hero of mine as someone who also has multiple sclerosis. So I've been watching Debbie's career from a distance for a long time. And I, oh, I credit you with, making me fall in love with Richard even more. I tell everyone far and wide. Uh, yeah. So even like, yeah, that's the first time I heard about that production, but that sounds brilliant. Yeah. And it kind of came out of conversations with the director, you know, who was, who was mm. like, what, what is, what is the biggest drag of disability? And it's like, it's not, not being able to walk. It's relationships. It's the way it affects mm. relationships. You know, it gets mm. in the way of, of connecting sometimes. Because the, the people are where you can't get to, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not to put you on the spot, Bruce. Sure. My name is Bruce Horak. I am a legally blind performer creator uh, from Calgary, Alberta, originally. I'm in my late 40s now. And uh, I first played Richard III in 1999 at Shakespeare in the Park mm. when I was... Uh, far too young to do the role I felt and uh <laughs> under the direction of Sandano Stoltz who was a uh, former artist director of Pink Inc in Vancouver and I had been approached by Kevin McKendrick who was the artistic director of Shakespeare in the Park in Calgary uh the summer before he had said um because I had been working with that company since I graduated from Mount Royal College um, every summer I would go back and do something with Shakespeare in the Park, either in the company as a performer or as musician, composer, what have you. And Kevin had approached me and said he was really interested in doing a production of Richard III. And he sort of envisioned me as a sing and dance and um, uh, goof nut Richard. And I kind of <laughs> jumped at the chance. I had a full year to kind of prepare for it. And at the end of that run of the show, I I just really felt like I really wanted another chance at it. If I, if I ever had the opportunity to do the role again, I really would have, I would have leapt at it. I felt like I needed to have some, some miles on the tires before I, before I, I felt like I could really sink my teeth into it. Um, and then uh, about a year ago now, uh, Vanessa Port, or actually Hasten Kadri at the Shakespeare Company in Calgary called me up and said that they were thinking about doing Richard 
again, and Vanessa Porches was going to be directing it. And uh, would I be interested in doing it? So Vanessa and I started talking about the the role. Hmm. And um, and actually, the three of us had many conversations about it initially, because um, Vanessa was really leaning on, on uh, the disability factor with Richard and wanting to to have have some authentic representation and have a performer who was disabled play the role. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so we got into got into that conversation quite a bit. And initially, um, what she was thinking about having me do was play the role with my my prosthetic eye out and that I mm-hmm. would in the there's the big reveal where he sort of re- re- in the script anyway kind of shows off his I think his withered arm or something and sort of, sort of shakes it in everyone's faces and he said well why don't we why don't we have you take your eye out on stage and I just felt immediately my my whole uh, chakra all of my chakras cringed at that moment and I thought well that's that's almost in some ways like more than doing a nude scene on stage Mm-hmm. And also, I wasn't sure theatrically that it would even read past the first or second rows. Um, so mm-hmm. we, we got into that conversation a little bit. And I said, well, if you're looking for a really visible disability, I'm not sure that I'm really your actor because I read, uh, I don't read blind mm-hmm. um, for a lot of people. And uh, so she was, yeah, we kind of wrestled with that conversation a bit. And I, I recommended a few other actors. So my initial response was no. And then mm-hmm. she went off and auditioned other people for that, for the role. And eventually she came back to me and said, well, we're, we're finding people, but they're, uh, we're having difficulty with finding an actor that can ha- handle the text. Mm-hmm. And she had seen me do Shakespeare before and said, I know that you can really handle the text. So maybe we can lean into the disability factor. And we, um, kind of dug down into my own experience with um, being a visually impaired and blind performer. And that in my thirties was when I actually got my first white cane and started to use it. And I mean, that really changed my life. Uh, I probably should have been using a white cane since I was, you know, in the womb. Um, But uh, when I, when I did get that and and started to actually use it, um, it, it broke down a lot of barriers for me and uh, so we leaned into that and, and having Richard with a white cane and using the cane. And um, I I also wear a contact lens to, uh, you know, help with my vision or whatever. So during rehearsals, I, I specifically wouldn't wear it and I wouldn't wear my glasses. And I did the whole production without that. So I, I, I leaned into um, my own kind of my own visual impairment instead of trying mm. to because I spent so much of my life as as an actor um, pretending to be sighted and so this was an opportunity to just go no like who am I and, and how do I actually see the world and and what does that uh, afford me as a performer and 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 what are the lengths then to that character and mm. the process with Vanessa was really illuminating in that um yeah and it was a very I mean going from 1999 until you know, when uh, 2000 and what year are we? 2023. Um, <laughs> but the differences in those those two rehearsal mm. processes, the differences in the, in the approach to it, um, when I did it in 1999, 
I'm fairly certain that Sandano had no idea that I was visually impaired. Kevin certainly did, mm -hmm. but I, I would show up completely off book. So I didn't have to have my script an inch and a half away from my face to be reading it. And I would show up uh, an hour and a half before the other actors to walk the space and learn the blocking and get myself into a place where no one else in the room would know that I was visually impaired. I, I would front load all that work for myself so that uh, I could, appear at least to the other performers in the room to be uh you know able-bodied and this was completely different you know the the uh, shakespeare company gave vanessa and i a full 24 hours of pre-rehearsal for us to be working on this stuff and and looking mm. for the the moments in the script of like where where is this uh where is my life experience going to fall into this and and that wouldn't have happened in 1999 um mm -hmm. And uh, all of that stuff that was on me to show up and learn, learn the blocking, learn the spaces, memorize all of that, that was all on me. And I would take that on myself. And here uh, during this process, it was very much, um, what do you need? How can we accommodate you? And that, that change has just been, um, it's been huge. And mm -hmm. so the experience of doing it this last run was, was like night and day. And uh, yeah, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty thrilling. I, I got to, um, explore and, and express some of my own lived experiences um, mm -hmm. more authentically than having to put on uh, that character. And I think, um, yeah, I was, I was uh, pleasantly surprised by the whole experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful. I think it's so beautiful that you've sort of had two kicks at the can, um, especially like in this day and age. And I keep jokingly calling this the year of Richard's because there's yeah. so many Richard III productions happening across mm -hmm. the country. But mm -hmm. I think it's beautiful and I think it's brilliant. And I think that, you know, because every single human being with a disability lives a different experience. So like, what a beautiful opportunity to bring your lived experience to that role. That's Yeah, truly, truly. Uh, Dylan, speaking of the year of Richards. Yeah, uh, I'm Dylan Thomas Boucher. Uh, I was born and raised in Treaty 8 territory in Fort Murray, Alberta, and Fort Mackay. I now reside in Mokinstis, but I am currently on in Jokjage and uh, in Ganyakahaga territory, so all over the place. I'm Korean Dene myself, um, so my Richard had that in him as well. I was diagnosed from a young age, like I was born with it, but I was diagnosed uh, when I was about two uh, with cerebral palsy. Um, so my version of cerebral palsy is quite mixed. I use a I use a walking cane uh, when I leave the house. Uh, I typically don't use it around the house, but sometimes if I if I go too hard during the day, I, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> I also use AFOs on my legs uh, whenever I leave the house uh, as, a, as a support. Um, and all of these things played a factor in my Richard in the rehearsal process. Uh, so my production with Richard was Teenage Dick uh, at Alberta Theatre Projects. Teenage Dick is a adaptation written by Mike Liu. Uh, it was done in parallel with Bruce's production. Um, so it was kind of nice to know that these two productions were happening at the same time across the street from each other. Uh, and mm. we had no, we had, we had no relationship, no interaction there, but, uh, 
but we knew of each other and we knew it was happening mm -hmm. and very different takes uh not only to richard but to the whole the whole show and the whole production um my richard rather than being a king or striving to be a king then becoming a king he's a high school student <laughs> striving for student body president position <laughs> and he'll do anything he has to to get that position mm -hmm. um so in a lot of ways that it just changes the stakes i, I don't i wouldn't say it it minimizes anything in, in fact when you're a kid everything feels like life or death mm -hmm. so it was actually quite easy to keep the stakes inside me at all times because you think after every social interaction that You've either made it or you've really screwed something up when you're in high school mm -hmm. um and he's feeling that right off right off the jump um mm. so it 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 brought, it brought a lot of feelings back from when i was in high school because i understood his i understood where he was coming from mm. R richard was so self-conscious about mm -hmm. his disability, about his relationship to other people, um, so much so that he thought nobody gave a shit about him. Mm. In fact, n well, not even that, people hated him for what he is, uh, just for existing. Um, and I understood that, you know, you, you, when I was in elementary school, middle school, high school, there was always this sense from myself that I was getting the the looks whenever I would turn a corner, you know, or, or I would, I would say to myself, well, surely people are talking about me behind their back because I'm different, uh, because I walk the way I walk and all these things. Um, I was raised in a, in a environment where I got away from that. I just mm. don't think, I don't think this Richard ever did. Mm. He didn't, he, he didn't get those lessons. He didn't get that support from home so he was just so sure of of those external forces working against him mm -hmm. that he had to show them you know mm -hmm. that there was that there was power in him and all of those things um it was definitely a process um working with my director jenna rogers uh to get there we also myself and a, and another actor uh, Ricky Entz, who who uses a wheelchair uh, to play our version of Buck. Don't don't ask me what the what the actual characters are. I don't. <laughs> yeah, you just know the teenage Dick version. I just I just <laughs> I I just know. And and here's the thing, I've worked with Shakespeare through my through my theater school days, mm -hmm. and and now I've done two productions professionally. Mm -hmm. um, doesn't mean I care about Shakespeare. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm it's kind of the work is there mm -hmm. there's always there's always shakespeare to do and i'm a i'm a type of actor that i'm like i can do that work mm -hmm. you know and i'll and i'll put myself into it as much as i possibly can but give me a contemporary script please <laughs> um whenever i can so yeah. and so my my relationship to shakespeare is a mixed one um mm -hmm. i i don't feel he needs to be done as much as he is. Mm. Um, he's, I think Canadian theater can evolve past him, mm -hmm. uh, but I don't see that happening in my lifetime. 
Um, mm. So I went into this production with all of that, all those feelings, uh, but also understanding what my job is. And my job is to <laughs> deliver Richard the best I possibly could. And it was, it was a process. I remember, so I auditioned and I had been in discussion to do this version of Richard with Alberta Theatre Project for years. Mm. Like they, they didn't sign me on years ago, but, but years ago when I was at NTS as mm. a student, I got reached out to and said, hey, would you be interested in, in being seen for the part? And we couldn't really make that work. I wasn't willing to leave school for a possibility of a job. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then a global pandemic happened. And, and then, a, then, <laughs> yeah. a, then, yes. So then a pandemic hits. <laughs> that, but it, the but the production never goes away. You know, the, it st- it stays on the slate. And then a new new director comes in. She sees me for the role. And then week later, she calls me. I don't mean to throw her under the bus. This isn't me throwing her under the bus. She calls me and she says, I want to cast you, but you've seemed tentative in the audition. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and so I think there was questions of like, can you handle the 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 work and, and how much this is? So I felt like I need to repitch myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we all have off days with auditions, re- like rega- regardless of accessibility or not accessibility just adds another layer to it that makes it that much harder mm-hmm. or more more challenging um but i i was like okay i definitely had an off day with that audition mm-hmm. but why do we have to have this half an hour call mm-hmm. if you want to cast me cast me and i'll and i'll get there mm-hmm. and 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 we did you know and um i i also had two weeks of extra like they they paid me money to do some prep Hmm. i'll say this though i'm no bruce horak i i (laughs) i tried my i tried my darndest to get as off book as i could and i was off book for a couple scenes Mm -hmm. but coming into rehearsal yeah i was off book for a couple scenes but there's Mm -hmm. so much to do in that script Mm -hmm. i will say though having that extra time to get a little bit off book i think it helped not only me but it helped the room because I was at a place where the rest of the the rest of the room of other artists and actors realizes like, okay, he's doing it. So mm. the rest of us, it's possible and and, and mm. we'll and we'll all we'll all get there together. Um mm. and and eventually like we all caught up to each other and we all I think delivered a a a really good production that people were mm. proud of. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, I, I definitely because I work with a lot of non dancers, like as a choreographer, and a lot of actors in movement. And a lot of the time, there's some appreh- like the second a choreographer walks in the room, sometimes there's an apprehension with actors, they get like really self conscious. And they're like, Oh, no, no, mm-hmm. but I'm like, not a dancer. And I always start it by being like, Yeah, but like, I have MS. So like, we're mm-hmm. we're like we're gonna be working on this together and we're all just here to be as gentle as possible so I find sometimes I can like leverage it to sort of like open up a door and be like nope here's the kindness let me just open my kindness door for you <laughs> I, um, I was I was leading a discussion while I was in school about um relationship to disability in the theater mm-hmm. community and someone at the discussion who uh, who was in my class asked 
or just made a statement. It's like, I don't know how, how best to accommodate or make adjustments. And I looked at that person. I said, you've been doing it with me for seven months. So I don't, (laughs) it's take those learnings and, Mm -hmm. and apply it to your process overall and Mm -hmm. boom, you've done it. You nailed it. Uh, now I feel like I'm going to pitch to Alex Bulmer. Uh, hey, yes. Alex, can hey. you tell us about yourself as an artist? And why don't you tell us about the production you're doing this summer? Uh, I'm Alex Bulmer. I am a, um, I've, uh, gosh, I guess I've been uh, working in, in theater professionally for nearly 40 years. Um, uh, I started as an actor. Um, I was in second year university theater uh, in 1987 when I was diagnosed with an eye condition that initially um, um, led me to um, run, run away, run away from the theater. Take every every doctor's advice, you know, you <laughs> fool. In fact, the doctor said nobody wants to see a blind woman tripping across the stage. Oh, How no, wrong were they? That's like a good clown routine. Come on. <laughs> anyway, um, I lasted two weeks uh, outside of the theater program and um, returned uh, and was introduced to um, a voice teacher Jojo Rideout, who, you know, um, gave me the opportunity to consider voice teaching as a a potential career because at that time there was absolutely no one who thought there would be any chance that a blind person could have a career Mm -hmm. as an actor. So um, I I went down the voice road uh, happily and um, I eventually ended up in England studying voice at the Central School of Speech and Drama to become a voice teacher. And while there, I guess it was 1990, I was introduced to a theatre company called Grey Eye, which was the UK's uh, leading disabled-led theatre company. That's how they you know, talked about themselves. And I just thought, whoa, wait a minute. Not only is it a theatre company, but it's a disabled-led theater company and it's the leading disabled-led theater company. Like what, are there like 50 of them? (laughs) Like what? And um, I spent a week as a voice teacher on a gray eye uh, training course for young disabled performers and it completely changed my life. Hmm. Um, I, I, and I never, never wanted to um, go backwards. I, I just, uh, I wanted to take uh, these ideas of, you know, re reshaping all of our kind of assumptions or expectation of what theater should look like or sound like um, or where it should happen or, you know, all just, just, it just, I just, I, I learned that I had carried, I had basically inherited and had, had been taught to, uh, to expect uh, a, a very, very narrow way uh, that theater can um, be created and, and and be performed. So I came back to Canada and started something called Picasso Project, which was a disabled arts initiative. And then I started a theater company called Sniff and produced a show called Smudge, which was based on my sight loss uh, and becoming blind. Very early days, really, of the experience, like earlier days than I am now. I'm now in my late <laughs> 50s. And um, in 2003... I packed it up 
when I left Canada because I couldn't, I, I couldn't find my way through anymore. And I didn't want to just be a voice teacher. Like mm. I, I loved it, but I wanted to be a creative. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be a director. I wanted to be a writer. I don't, I, I wanted to be in the room mm-hmm. and the, Oh, and my opportunities got sh- sh- smaller and smaller and smaller to the point that people were just offering me jobs as a consultant to all the other writers and actors and directors who were, you know, um, going to, some people were going to play a blind person in a, in a, in a show. And <laughs> would I come and help them be blind or, you know, people, there was an, it was a suggestion that there was going to be a TV show written by um, someone who had been affiliated with um, my work, who was not disabled. And would I be a consultant on the TV show to, you know, help give them ideas and make sure that everything was, you know, uh, I guess um, in the right frame of politics. And although that you know better that they were wanting to include me than not but i just thought no i am not going to be i'm not going to be in uh, sitting on the sidelines i need mm-hmm. to be somewhere where i can somehow develop my own voice and my own way of making theater so i moved to the uk because they offered an access to work program through the federal government which um basically gives disabled people whatever money to pay for whatever they need. And if that means going to rehearsal with a support worker who helps feed you lines or, you know, get you from A to B or describe what's happening or, you know, whatever you need, um, it's paid for. And mm-hmm. um, I, I had a thriving career there for 15 years and then decided I really wanted to come back to Canada um, and um, work with uh, the performers in this country um, who are disabled and basically try and bring back what I'd learned, but also within a Canadian context, because it was really, it was really important for me to come home. Mm -hmm. And that leads me to being in the park last year, um, coming to assist you, all you wonderful ruffians on a (laughs) show. You brought me in to talk about um, accessibility Mm -hmm. for the production. And I believe on the way home, Christine Horn mumbled a little secret to me that you were writing an adaptation of Richard III. And Christine it, Horn is always telling my secrets. Well, <laughs> you know, you can <laughs> or we could just happily blame, you know, it's, yeah. it's all Christine. Yeah. Anyways, she told me about this project you were um, at the beginning of, and I just said, oh, I, I'd really, really like to be involved with that. I, had, I, I hesitated and thought, no, Alex, you must wait to be invited. And I thought, shh, forget it. I was about to say fuck it, but I don't know who's listening to this podcast. Might be Chris. <laughs> Christine's daughter might be listening. But anyway, uh, I yeah. said, uh, can, I, can I play? <laughs> yeah. Look, I'm going to be honest with you, Alex. You never would have gotten an invitation to play because never in my wildest dreams would I have thought that you would have agreed to. Oh, are you kidding me? That is the only reason why. I just, I was like, Alex Bomer, like, so busy, like, doesn't have time for my show. Like, oh, yeah, so no. it like, blew my mind when Christine was like, Alex would be available and interested. I was like, oh, then hard yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hard yes. Hard yes. Yeah. Yes. And and yeah. do not ever think, do never think I'm too busy. <laughs> no such thing. No yeah. such thing. No, I am. I, um, 
And and also I was I was also really excited because it had come off of a year where Richard the Third had been done mm-hmm. at the RSC in England with um, someone I know who played Richard, a disabled actor, and it had been done. Uh, I can't remember if it was Chicago or New York by uh, and and Richard was played, I believe, by a trans actor, and that, that same summer it was done here with Colm Fiore, and yeah. I just thought, ah, come on, Canada. Like, can't we, you know, and then, and then it was right at that time, Christine told me about your project and I just, yeah, of course I would want to be a part of it. Yay. And here I am. (laughs) Alexa, no pressure. Last, but definitely not least. I know so much to live up to. Oh, (laughs) I hope I can. Um, uh, Yeah. My name is Alexa. My background as an artist is acting. Um, I went to school at a conservatory type program for four years, theater and drama studies, and graduated just before the pandemic. Um, and something I like to brag about was in my year, there were two visibly disabled people who graduated the program. Ooh. I know, such a rarity. <laughs> so I was not special. <laughs> um, there were two of us. Um, so that's very exciting. But yeah, so my background is theater and drama. And I love theater and Richard has always been a role. I've been so, whenever people ask about like your dream role, I don't really have dream roles for like anything for TV film. I'm just like, I just want to work. I just want to work in a great series or movie. I just want to have a good character. But for theater, um, this was always one that came up. I was like, no, I would love to do Richard and Richard third. I would love to reclaim that role. Because historically, it's always done by very, like, non-disabled, um, like, societally slash conventionally handsome white men. And you're just like, really? Dogs bark at you as you haul by them? <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> so so it's always been in the back of my head. I'm like, oh, I really want, if that ever comes, if that ever happens, I would love to be in the production I'd also I'd love to be Richard in that production um so yeah um and then pandemic happened I had a little bit of time before after graduation of some work but then the pandemic came and there was a lot of no work where I just did some tv or no work I should say in theater and tv and film and commercials became a new venture that I was um for myself I was like oh this is surprising how I booked a few commercials and booked a few things because I don't see myself commonly, or I don't see myself frequently on screen. I am a visibly disabled woman. I have dwarfism. So I stand about four foot two. I have shorter um, arms and legs than my non-disabled counterparts. But I found, yeah, a little bit of wiggle room and welcoming in the TV film industry, um, which surprisingly enough, I didn't find in theater Mm. um, post-graduation where I was like, historically, theater is for the quote air quotes of riffraff and like outcasts and marginalized society so what the hell Toronto <laughs> <laughs> um so then yeah flash forward a couple of years I um get an email from Christine Horn back to Christine Horn <laughs> um I had done a workshop with her before the pandemic and she mentioned um she's part of the new leadership with the rough collective and if I wanted to be part of a staged reading that happened last year 2022 was yeah. last year yeah mm-hmm. Um, and read a part for a Joseph Jomo Pierre play, which is like an amazing play. Uh, read a part of a character named Judith. 
And I did that. And the director before the stage reading week asked about, like, we had a phone call and talked about the play. And he was talking about, like, how Black characters are usually represented in Shakespeare. And I was like, Kwaku, oh my goodness, like, I have the same beef with Shakespeare about disability and all the disabled characters are evil and this and this and that. Um, and I heard later from Trish that when he hung up the phone, he had like asked Trish, did you tell Alexa about like your plans with Richard or something? Because she just kept talking about Richard III and disability and I had no idea. So it's all very serendipitous. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Kwaku doesn't tell my secrets. <laughs> does, but Kwaku keeps them to himself. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then, yes, I finished that stage reading and then Trish approached me, I think, a, a couple, maybe a month or a few weeks or. I think sometime. it's because you you did that workshop with Jeff Ho and I. Yes. And yeah, I feel like we sort of just in a very unofficial way, like worked through some things. And I was like, oh, Alexa gets it. And Alex knows a little bit. Sometimes I give some very off the cuff directions and you either get it <laughs> and you get it or you don't. And I feel like I threw some spaghetti at Alexa and Alexa's like, I got this. <laughs> yeah. I was like, spaghetti's my favorite meal. Let's do this. Um, yeah. And so Trish approached me and was like, we're doing, I'm adapting Richard, Richard three next summer. What do you think? And I was like, what do I think? I would be delighted. So <laughs> That leads us to now. I managed to say it's in a multiverse and neither Alexa or Alex got worried about those words and both signed up to be dueling Richards uh, in this production, uh, both playing Richard. Uh, So I'm just grateful for that. (laughs) Thank you for coming (laughs) along for the ride. Um, I think one of the things that sort of like stands out the most to me, I think that there's a little bit of a divide between maybe Dylan and Alexa's theater school experience and like when they're coming into the roles of Richard versus the others, even just Bruce talking about doing it like years apart. Um, Bruce doing it the year I was born. (laughs) Yes, the first time. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I just, I think I'm curious, even like in the past three years, even in the past five years, um, if anyone wants to jump in on just like how much has changed in terms of like the attitudes towards representation, mm. in particular for this role, but also just mm. in general for disability on mm-hmm. screen and stage. And You hear me kind of making mumbling noises. <laughs> I hear you agreeing. Yes. Well, I, I have to say, like, I can't. You know, I, I I remember the things that were said to me all those years ago. Like, I remember auditioning for a theater school in Canada that shall rename, remain nameless, I suppose. Um, and, um, you know, getting through the first audition and and there was nothing at that time obvious about like like you wouldn't know you you wouldn't know like I had a condition uh, or that I had any kind of uh, uh, issue with my 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 sight um just from walking into a room you know doing an audition and leaving that there was nothing indicative about that so I got through that round and I ended up in uh, the group audition joy of Mm. um being in a circle with everybody and throwing um a ball (laughs) which you know that Every, I think every single teacher I've ever had in the performing arts loves to throw a ball. And I could, 
you know, I, I, I could throw the ball, but I couldn't quite catch it in the, you know, I could see it coming, but I, I couldn't catch it. I couldn't follow its trajectory. So the teacher pulled me aside, the audition guy pulled me aside and he just said, so like, what, what's going on? Like, mm. like we're, it's a simple ball exercise. And I said, well, I have a bit of an eyesight problem. So um, um, I, I can't really catch the ball, but I can throw the ball. Um, and he said, well, you can't possibly come to theater school. Mm. Because so much of our exercises are based on throwing a ball. And I just thought, <laughs> I'm not auditioning for a baseball team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of attitude now, although I'm sure it's still out there, I do find I, what I am feeling happens more so now is there is a, an enthusiasm, more of an enthusiasm for adapting or understanding what is actually at the core of what we're doing. So, so a ball exercise is actually not so much about your ability to catch or throw. It's, it can often be used as, as a way of building an ensemble. It can often be used as a, as a name game. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it has different functions. And if you go to the core of, of that, you can then find different ways to, to, um, y- you know, to deliver or execute the exercise so that lots mm-hmm. of people can t- participate. And, so I use that and I think about what Debbie was saying about how, you know, the opening of the play, mm. you know, the crowd goes by. Um, and I love this idea of like being on crutches and then and then using a wheelchair. So and 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 that's I guess what I mean by people I think are now starting to to see the opportunities mm-hmm. that those of us who have differing ways of engagement mm-hmm. are bringing into the room mm-hmm. rather than you you can't be here because it because what we do won't work for you. I do actually think people are now seeing okay what you're bringing into the room, this is this is creative gold. So how are we as a creative room and as a team of creatives, how how do we really use what what all of us bring into the room to help shape how this story is going to be told? That that's what I would say is a difference that I'm finding. Mm-hmm. I would say that because I'll just speak as a recent graduate. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, those that is all true. Uh, there is there is more of an effort to um, be adaptive, be a bit more um, malleable in the in the process. Um, which I think it's lovely, but it also means that when when that's not the case, it's that much harder. Mm. <laughs> because I I did grow up in a from my community theater days to my high school theater days, and now the professional uh, days. When I was in community theater, no one really pointed out my disability. It was mm. just kind of you just did the thing. Um, it was more. Maybe when, maybe when I was in high school and, and then when I went to theater school that it was pointed at. Um, and I do recognize my privilege um, in that I was able to go to theater school. They saw me and they saw my level of disability and they're like, we can work with that. 
you know, um, there are many artists who are just as talented and just as interesting that won't get that chance because they can't enter the building. Mm -hmm. I can, I can enter the building. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um then so now i'm in the building and I'm, I'm here and it's it's on it's the onus is on me to adapt and figure out what i need i'm a at this point i'm a young 19 year old kid it's like okay what do you need from us it's like i don't know i'm just a student i i don't <laughs> know what i what i need from mm -hmm. you big mm -hmm. big institution mm -hmm. um and that feeling kind of stayed for the years um and again i think I, they only really felt like they cracked me open and figured it out once i came back in my final year with answers or with like here's what i need because mm -hmm. uh, before that i was definitely getting the messaging of we don't know how to teach you mm. <laughs> you know uh which is really disheartening uh, as a student um and then so i kind of came into the professional realm with all of that mm -hmm. you know I, I how much of that I left behind how much of that I carried with me um so nowadays I'm a couple of years removed and yeah I know how to adapt I know how to do all those things I have a better sense of what I need as an actor um I also know what questions to ask mm -hmm. and sometimes sometimes I'll ask a, a, a question to a director and they'll not they'll they'll putter around it a bit and that's very telling to me one it's either oh you don't know how to actually work with me in this context or you don't see the see the script the way i see it mm. uh, because if i go for something it's typically typically because i think i'm a good fit for the production i I'm not an actor who goes for everything. I'm I'm not uh, uh I'm not a grinder, you know, so I don't I don't want to live in Toronto like because mm -hmm. uh, that that feeling is at least present. Um mm -hmm. so I live in Calgary where I'm fortunate enough that I can I don't have to go for everything. Um which means that when I do it's like I think I'm a good fit and it's up to the director to then see what I see or it's up to me to show them what I see. Mm -hmm. um, all of this comes back to Richard and and our production of it. Um, all to say, the industry is better, um, but it's still a we're, Canadian theater is still a baby. Mm -hmm. Like we're not we're not that old, mm -hmm. so there's so much to still iron out uh, from a lot of different standpoints. Uh, trans artists aren't being seen, or if they are being seen, they're seen and then never hired. Uh, indigenous people are rarely put on stages outside of indigenous scripts. Mm -hmm. uh, dis disabled people, well, we're lucky to get into the doorway, you know? So mm -hmm. so in the in this discussion, this wider discussion of how more accessible has the industry become? Well, it's like they they can barely do physical accessibility, let alone social accessibility. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I'm a, I'm a bit of a young person who's I 
I I want to see the good in all these companies. I do. Um, and I do. Mm-hmm. And now that we're in a room full of disabled people, now I'm venting. <laughs> now yeah, I'm yeah. now I'm saying the the thoughts that we say to our partners and our friends, you know, and not the directors that we're trying to get hired from. But I, I think it's a fully valid point to say like, yes, and like, yes, we've come a really long way. I hear the story of those that come before me and we need to be doing better. I think that's totally valid. I used to, um, I used to work in film and TV a fair bit in Winnipeg. And, um, and I, my, 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 uh, disability has been progressive. So, so for a long time, I just had a bit of a limp, you know, and I could, I could pretty much hide it for the, you know, to walk into a, an audition and walk out. Um, and then one day I, I was limp, limping just a little bit. There was one casting person in Winnipeg, like nobody in Winnipeg needs an agent because there's yeah. one person, who, there was one person who would cast films. And so you just have a relationship with that person and you're good. Right. So, so one day he he said, uh, "Are you injured?" And I said, "No, I I actually and I had to come out. Right, I have MS and I'm limping." And he didn't call me for any auditions after that. Like, hmm. like never again, never again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh. That was part one of our Richard the Third Roundtable with Dylan Thomas Bouchier, Alex Bulmer, Bruce Horvath, Debbie Patterson, and Alexa Vassos. Tune in next time for part two. I'd like to take a moment to thank all of our guests for their time and their energy and for being so vulnerable. If you like what you hear, please consider giving us a five-star review on all our platforms. It's the best way for people to find Rough Radio. I'm Jeff Young of the Shakespeare and the Rough Leadership Collective. Thanks for listening in. Till next time.